0: Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. What if I was to
1: tell you that 60 years before Martin Luther King Jr., there was another African-American pushing for the rights of recently freed slaves, and that man lived right here in Quincy. Coming up, learn about Father Augustus Tolton, an 1800s Quincy priest on his way to becoming a saint. That coming up next.
0: Here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman.
1: Well, Travis, uh, we go from talking about a a murderer to talking about Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Uh, It seems like we're covering all the gamuts this season of uh, season four of Wild Quincy.
0: We're taking huge strides. One might even say Sasquatchian huge strides across various topics. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we find ourselves in a completely different world here this time around with people. And it's going to be a good one, I think.
1: Yeah, we should uh, have something. I I was telling Travis before we started, uh, uh, you know, you've heard the stories about this guy, but I don't really know anything. I've kind of never gone down the rabbit hole of learning about uh, who we're going to be talking about. So I'm looking forward to it. But uh, before we get to all the fun of this episode, Travis, uh, first of all, let's talk. About the wild files. We talked about it last episode, didn't we? Yeah,
0: we're picking up steam. What we want is we want your stories. You there listening, you there driving, you there pretending to work, but you're actually just totally listening to (laughs) Wild Quincy. I want to, and more importantly, we want to hear what you have to say. We're looking for. Ghost stories, weird local items. Maybe you have historical things in your family. Maybe you moved into your a, a new house and there's a weird box in the corner of an attic with some cool stuff in there. If it's weird, wild, or generally wonderful, local or beyond in, in your stories, family stories, we want to hear about it. So either record yourself uh, telling us a story, send the audio file to us, or just send us an email to wildquincy at gmail.com. And just put that uh, subject line, Wild Files. We're going to get a whole bunch of cool stories, hopefully, and we'll have some good shows for you in the off season that we'd normally have a lot of radio static. We'll have a little bit more uh, kind of user-generated content that we want to share with everyone. Become a part of Wild Quincy by participating in the Wild Files. Thanks to everyone who has already submitted their stories, and we're looking for yours next. So uh, drop us a line.
1: Yeah, give us a give us a shout to wildquincy@gmail.com, or you can also go to our phone number, which Travis, you always have that ready and handy. It's tattooed
0: on my forehead, Chris. Six one two six 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 nine four five three. That's six one two six 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 nine four five three. Also, wild nine four five three. If you're not, uh, if you're hip to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great way. I think I'm really interested to see what everybody has to say. We've had a boost in listeners, it seems like. A lot of fresh years with probably some great stories that we want to hear.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, before we uh, jump into the question of the day, Travis, I want to give a shout out to my former history teacher, uh, Jeff Zanger. He is a teacher, I believe, at St. Peter's uh, School. He teaches uh, history there yeah, you, and social you ace, studies. you
0: aced that class, right, Chris? Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's what we'll say. Uh, But uh, no, we've been working with uh, Jeff and trying to get some stuff figured out. And I found out that um, these uh, evidently, uh, we're very popular in the sixth to eighth grade. Uh, scene, because uh, I, evidently a lot of our episodes are being listened to by junior high and middle schoolers, so uh, it's very cool that uh, we're given a little history, so uh, I guess, you know, you think about it, is that, you know, when we were in junior high, Travis, we uh, didn't have podcasts to listen to, or <laughs> learn history stuff, so I guess it's kind of a cool new new trend, I guess, new technology, right? Well, I
0: feel honored and a little bit scared for the future of, uh, of humanity, that they're getting information <laughs> from us, but no, seriously, that's cool to hear that there is some value being uh, utilized with our podcast beyond yeah. just the general audience. So that's awesome. Hello to everyone yep. listening in the school age sector, I guess. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we got to keep it G, buddy. That's right. Got to right. keep it G. Uh, we'll keep the other stuff for uh, Patreon, which there we'll have coming up for that in just a few minutes. So I'll be listening for that. But Travis, so it is time. For everybody's favorite portion, maybe second favorite, depends on what you like. But uh, question of the day. Are you ready for this? I'm
0: always ready. What do you got for me this week?
1: All right. Here we go. Question of the day is this. It's kind of a weird question, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain. What city was the closest to Quincy to be the epicenter of an earthquake? Does that make sense?
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. So I'll give you some choices. You got Charleston, Missouri, Eureka, Missouri. Paris, Missouri, or O'Fallon, Illinois. Mm. Okay, so the question again is this. What city was the closest to Quincy to be the epicenter of an earthquake? You got Charleston, Missouri, Eureka, Missouri, Paris, Missouri, or O'Fallon, Illinois? Boy, Travis, I think you got a tough one this episode. I
0: have no clue, Chris. It's going to be complete luck if I ace this test. We'll see what happens, though.
1: Yeah, we'll have the answer to that coming up at the end of this episode, but uh, it's time for a people episode, and this time we're going to dig into a very prominent figure in the Quincy area, and that is none other than Father Augustus Tolstoy. That's coming up next here on Wild Quincy. Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. How do they mate? Yeah, I mean, if there's, if you see such a well, small Chris, am- when when a
0: when a when a, big, when a male Bigfoot loves a female Bigfoot very much, they uh, they put on some very white foot and. They, They clap their hands and the uh, little fire in the woods gets a little bit dimmer. And uh, they make some sweet, sweet monkey love in the forest.
1: Jesus.
0: This the hairiest, grossest thing oh you can imagine. Our After Hours episodes are
1: available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash That's patreon p a t r e o n.com slash and become a wild thing today. here on Wild Quincy. And we are talking about Father Augustus Tolton. And Travis, uh, this is one of those episodes where it might not be all the the shine and, and, and glitter of uh, some of our other episodes that we have. But boy, you know, if you talk about prominent figure in the city of Quincy and the surrounding area, you definitely want to turn to this guy because he's definitely got a history from the way it sounds.
0: Absolutely, Chris. Uh, John Augustus Tolton, well, he, he was no stranger to adversity through his whole life. He was kind of dealt a questionable hand when it came to prominence in, in life, and he really was able to put his head down and really achieve great things. It all started in April 1st, 1854 in Brush Creek, Missouri. He was born to Peter Paul Tolton and Martha Jane Chisley. His parents were both slaves, and though they were property of different families, they were allowed to live together in a small cabin. This wasn't that uncommon at the time. Often slave owners would accept this scenario if the slaves would adopt the preferred religion of the area, and in this case, it was a Catholic church. Now, when the Civil War broke out in 1861, it was really the first time that the idea of of a free nation without slavery kind of made its way into the mindset of those who labored as property and not people. Many slaves, including Augustus' father, Peter, ran away from slavery, and their whole hope was to join the Union Army to help fight for the cause that could bring forth their liberation. And there was probably a plan where Peter would reunite with the family um, after the Civil War had ended. Unfortunately, that day would never come for Peter, as only a short time after escaping, he would sadly die of dysentery as part of the Union Army in Arkansas. And so you have this, this sad scenario, which happened all the time. There's a there's a little bit of controversy on this next part of the story. Some people think that, that Martha and her children escaped slavery, ran away. Some people thought maybe they were freed. It's very murky. We're going to go under the pretense that they escaped. And what this essentially means is... Um, at this time period what you had was a weird shifting you know you always had the the Union Confederate line being Missouri and Illinois but in reality Mm -hmm. what we talked about in previous episodes is the Union soldiers would sometimes occupy parts of a state in this part in this case we're talking about the eastern part of Missouri which was Hannibal so technically Hannibal at some parts of the Civil War were actually occupied by Union troops so What Martha did is Martha took her three children um, because there was a threat. The reason it was kind of the impetus for Martha to escape is as the Union soldiers advanced, those slave owners who were in Brush Creek, Missouri, that's about 20, 25 miles from Hannibal. They were very much afraid that the Union army was going to advance. And when they got to the area, basically they would be liberating the slaves. That they they possessed. So rather than just take a loss, a lot of slave owners were just going were trying to sell off their slaves. So they were at least making a profit during all this and weren't just losing everything. So essentially what happened is Martha Jane decided she would risk it all and run away with her children in the cover of night. With these three children, the youngest being 20 months, I mean, basically on her hip, Chris, they set off for Quincy, a place known by slaves to be sort of a mecca, freedom less than 50 miles to the northeast. Now, they were caught early after reaching Hannibal when they were accosted by Confederate soldiers who still were around the Hannibal area, despite being under Union control. Miraculously, Union officers intervened upon the Tolton's behalf. The same Union soldiers helped Martha locate an old rowboat, which Martha struggled with, but eventually was able to pilot to the Illinois side of the river. At one point during the crossing, angry Confederate soldiers even took shots at the boat from the shore. Thankfully, it was just at the cover of night, and the darkness made it too tough for them to actually get a good bead on their target. With the help of some black and white workers on the Illinois side of the river, Martha and her children made it into the east side of Quincy, where they'd become kind of a black population started. Augustus was now nine years old, the family was settled in Quincy, and the family found work in the Harris Tobacco Factory, which was located at 5th and Ohio Streets. More than 300 employees produced fine cigars at one of several cigar manufacturers in Quincy. It was a huge industry back in this time, Chris. The family found a home. Prayer and music became a staple around the house. Tragedy struck in 1863 when Augustus' younger brother Charlie, who was often sickly, died after a battle with pneumonia. The family continued to find stability in their faith attending St. Boniface Church. Though sermons were given in German, the priest would often summarize the sermon in English for the small group of black attendees that were also in the church. Augustus was placed into the parish school at Saint Boniface, however, there was a huge uproar from white parishioners. Some threatened to withdraw their own children, some threatened to leave the church, at one point a rock was even thrown through a rectory window. Augustus was endlessly tormented by other students who made fun of him. Though he was ten years old, Augustus was not yet able to read the sisters did what they could to keep him after school to help tutor his education and protect him from other students waiting for him at the end of the day but at the end it was just too much pressure and social pressures chris tolton and his family agreed that it was probably best if he stopped going with augustus he was 14 when he was 14 he was enrolled in an all black school that had been started at around 10th and oak Tolton found himself in an all-too-familiar situation of being mocked and taunted. Even though this was a black school, most of the children attending had lighter skin, and Tolton was quite dark-skinned, and having only a mother was often mocked and taunted, some oftentimes being called stupid and even a bastard. I mean, things were rough for Tolton growing up. He seemed to find oppression around every corner. Little did Augustus know that a fiery, strong-willed Irish priest would soon enter his life and make a huge impact. Father Peter McGurr was, uh, left Ireland for America during the Potato Famine. He became a priest and settled in Alton, Illinois, not long after he was assigned to St. Lawrence School, which, as, as we know, is now St. Peter's here in Quincy. <laughs> when a family friend of the Tolton's was on their deathbed from tuberculosis, Father McGurr came and gave last rites and comforted all those gathered. This would be Father McGurr's first encounter with young Augustus. Father McGurr took note of Augustus's devout religious spirit and encouraged him to consider the priesthood, which Gus, or that was his nickname Augustus, was commonly called. He took to heart and began to pursue this idea. Now, there were many, many hurdles facing Gus as there were simply no black priests in the country. Despite consistent efforts, no seminary here or beyond here were ready to accept a black student. A group of Quincy priests decided that if Gus would not be accepted elsewhere, they would come together and tutor him locally. After being tutored in various places in Quincy, as well as a brief stint in northeast Missouri, Gus was accepted as a student at St. Francis College, which is now today Quincy University. While at the college Gus expressed deep longing to offer religious instruction and teaching to black children in the community one of Tolton's te- well, excuse me one of Tolton, Tolton's teacher father richard helped in reutilizing a parish which st boniface had purchased it was i believe it was a protestant parish which they actually purchased the building weren't actually using at the time so instead they turned it into a a school essentially that offered at first a sunday school for black children in the community and then it was soon uh, turned into an institution known as Saint Joseph's School with more of a, a larger type of curriculum. So at age twenty six, Gus received word of his acceptance into the propaganda fide seminary in Rome, Italy. Many of Tolton's past and present teachers had ties to bishops who inevitably helped gain Gus's acceptance into the Roman seminary. Upon his initial ordination, many, including Gus, assumed he would be transferred to an African country for his service. Uh, On April 15, 1880, Gus left Quincy for his eventual destination of Rome, Italy. As a gesture of support to help pay his expenses, Bishop Baltes of the Alton Diocese, which Quincy was a part of at this time, sent Gus $50. Twelve days later, Tolton found himself in the Vatican City. And this was a huge milestone for Gus. Surely this must have seemed like a dream come true for a young black man with such a humble beginning. Tolton would continue his studies and receive the affectionate nickname Gus from the U.S. Racial tension shockingly did not exist in Rome. And the experience of such an accepting society had to have seemed like as if Gus was worlds away from what he was brought up in in America. Though he was thousands of miles away from home, Gus often kept up with the happenings of St. Joseph's school. The school's fate seemed in question for a bit when he heard that it had been closed. However, great news followed when it turned out that the the school was going to be turned into a church as Quincy's first black parish for the citizens of Quincy. Now, after completing various studies and receiving various rites, Gus was ordained a deacon on November 8, 1885. Tolton's lifelong dream had been realized as he was an orda- as he became ordained. Gus was certain that he would soon find himself in an African nation preaching the good Word. This seemed to be the case until the last minute, as it seemed God had other plans for Gus. Cardinal Sim- Sim- this is a tough one. Car- Cardinal <laughs> stated that America has been called the most enlightened nation in the world. We shall see if it deserves that honor. If the United States has never before seen a black priest, it must see one now. Cardinal Simeone instructed Tolton that rather than Africa, he would be sent to the Diocese of Alton, Illinois. This was completely unexpected by Tolton, as well as everyone, who had pretty much accepted the fact that he would be in Africa. He didn't think that the racism would be a card that he'd have to encounter again. But boy, he he couldn't have been more wrong, Chris. Hmm. Tolton accepted his assignment and went forth to see what challenges awaited him on word of tolton's return his friends in quincy prepared a great homecoming his first solemn high mass took place in saint boniface church he soon received orders from the diocese of alton he would be appointed as the priest to saint joseph church that held such a special place in his heart
1: What year is this, Travis?
0: Uh, This is... uh, My timeline's a little bit further off here. I believe it was 18... It was roughly, I think, 1886 uh, when when he kind of became the first priest in America, Chris.
1: So we're talking he's probably in his early 20s. I believe he was 26 when he became ordained.
0: So yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably mid to late 20s, essentially. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tolton saw an amazing attendance at his services at St. Joseph. The choir as well as the altar society consisted of both black and white members. St. Joseph, once established as the Black Church in Quincy, now became a place of welcome for Quincyans of all races. Tolton was spoken highly of in the newspapers at the time and was a sought-after figure for public speaking not just around the area but around the country. Chicago even expressed interest in adopting Tolton to one of their own parishes. His success in Quincy soon led to fear by other white parishes who were intimidated by his success. Now, this would come to a head when Father Michael Weiss was appointed to as head priest at St. Boniface. Weiss was often just, he is a questionable character. If there's a bad guy to this story, Father Weiss is either the representative figure or the figure. Uh, he often used racial slurs in referring to Tolton and seemed to torment him endlessly. At one point, Weiss publicly stated that white citizens should not be a part of the black church, even declaring that the money put into the collection basket at St. Joseph's technically belonged to St. Boniface. Wow! So this this is aggressive, but at the time frame, you got to remember this racial melting pot. Oh yeah, it's not gone yet. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's still it, going it, to take
1: like a hundred and well, actually, still today. Unfortunately, <laughs> the
0: the evils kind of persist. But this yeah. was a very aggressive move. Weiss continued to suggest that Tolton should go elsewhere. Weiss, being the dean of Catholic churches in Quincy, he was kind of the head of the Catholic churches locally. He had the ear of the bishop of the diocese as well. Tolton was called to the bishop where he was informed to stop luring white parishioners into his church. And if he could not minister to only African Americans, he should go somewhere else. This conflict and persecution weighed heavily on Tolton, and he was committed... You know, with all, with all this going on, he was still committed to those people at St. Joseph to continue to serve his impoverished parishioners. So, controversy became pretty common here in 1889. At one point, and I looked for more details on this because I was super interested, and I, can't, I wasn't able to crack it yet. But in 1889, the daughter of a distinguished Quincy family sought to marry what was considered a quote-unquote unacceptable person, I'm not entirely sure what this meant, but I think it's highly possible that this was a black man. Word was put out to Quincy Priest that this marriage should not take place. Nobody wanted to touch us with a 10-foot pole. However, Tolton apparently didn't get or didn't care to follow the memo. The marriage was carried out in Gus's church, and public outcry followed that the marriage of one of Quincy's well-to-do was married in what was widely recognized as a Negro church.
1: So let me go ahead and let me give you a break here because this is a great information, but you know, one thing that really sticks out to me here and it kind of bothers me. And I, I would be curious to see what the explanation would be or what the, ex- I hate to say it better for lack of a better word, but excuse would be is like, how can you be a Catholic priest and be racist?
0: Right. It's very much an American, I think uh, yeah. the, it, it's a reality of many reports say that this father, uh, Michael Weiss was a troubled man. They didn't go into details. Here's the scenario. When he when he was brought into St. Boniface, the parish was financially kind of in the red. He was trying to get more money in the church, and he saw Tolton and his just mass appeal. Tolton was an eloquent speaker. Uh, apparently, he was a beautiful singer, had a, a, just musical talent, and many people flocked to St. Joseph. I don't think Quincy thought that that mm. was going to be an issue. Uh, this father, Michael Weiss, comes into the picture— Realizes that they're losing funds every Sunday. So he makes an aggressive, you know, maybe he's piggybacking off existing racial, you know, tensions in his own right. mind and his own upbringing. And it's just giving Gus the, you know, the middle finger, so to speak, as as much as he can to push people away from him. Gus has been appointed; he's following his mission. He has multiple letters he's writing to the bishop, like saying, "I need help here, this German priest," because Saint Boniface was the big German uh, church in the area. He there is several letters. That he, he expressed his frustration that you know he, he had a lot of information that he felt would hurt the church if he went public with to the newspapers. So he kind of sat on a lot hmm. of these derogatory conversations and then just this horrible working condition.
1: So can I? So can I point out here? You know, you I'm listening to you say this, and it's funny because we're talking late 1800s here, and then within the last 10, 20 years, we've had the same thing happen, but in a different term. So it always seems like there's a, a, some turmoil within the the Catholic priest world, and, I, and I'm going to go ahead and say this: I'm Catholic. Right. I was raised Catholic, right. so um, not that it makes it any different, but you know, it's it's funny that you can look hundred years back in the past and and there was still these issues that were happening back then as well it's just different completely a different thing but you know it really surprises me that a uh you know that if he is sending these letters to to you know rome into the vatican i'm guessing saying hey you know this is this is stuff is happening and and we're having these issues and not getting anything back but i guess they really realized that you were going to have this issue this is going to be something they were going to have to deal with right
0: you know, I, I think people severely underestimated just the pure affability of of Father Gus. People loved him. They were drawn to him. Hmm. um, you know, it's it's incredible just how how much uh, people flocked to him. Um,
1: and it, it turned off some other people in doing it. Oh, so. absolutely.
0: I don't think that yeah. the the church those in the church who were saw it as even a possible issue where you have, St. Boniface and less than a block away is is Saint Joseph and your your quote unquote white parishioners are going to a more interesting trip. <laughs> they found more interest in Tolton. Um, right. so you know he he this this controversy just continued to mount against Tolton
1: so, and, and let me ask you one last yeah. question here. Uh, you you kept mentioning, you kept seeing Saint Joseph, and obviously the you know, Saint Josephs. But I think of today is the one that's out by the airport. Uh, that is not the Saint Joseph we're talking no, about, right? No,
0: Saint Joseph was actually located. Uh, uh, gosh, it was uh There's a plaque that remains. I believe it's on Jersey, about Seventh in Jersey ish area. Okay. Yeah, it's no longer standing. Um, there is a plaque there um, dedicated to Tolton. But uh, no, it was really kind of this property that that the Catholic Church, um, I think St. Boniface, purchased from a Protestant church that had either rebuilt or gone elsewhere. And so for a long time, they were just sitting on this property, not sure what to do with. And Mm. this whole idea of opening St. Joseph's School was kind of the first step. And then they thought, okay, this is working pretty well as a school, but maybe we need to expand it into being a full church as well. Okay. And that, it was just kind of an interesting tra- trajectory that that was happening at the same time that Talton was in, you know, studying to become ordained in Rome. Okay. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what happened is eventually the pressures got too much. Uh, after this marriage, this was kind of the boiling point, the tipping point, so to speak. Gus pleaded to the Cardinal in Rome that he could no longer continue his mission in Quincy due to the circumstances and wished to be transferred to Chicago. And eventually that would become a reality. He slipped out of town quietly one evening, with the belief that he had failed to do his task in Quincy. He was really kind of heartbroken, and and ended up settling in Chicago. And he worked tirelessly for impoverished parishioners. Um, on some occasions, a chair was even relieved was retrieved so that Tolton could sit down and continue his sermons. And I'm kind of glossing through his Chicago time here as is, is oftentimes we talk about Tolton, we talk about his impact in Quincy. But when he went to, to Chicago, he was, fit, he was kind of on a really, the tables had turned. Here in Quincy, he came into the church that already had the actual church building. It already had kind of an established parish. Everything was pretty well set up. When he moved to Chicago, he he was pretty much pr- uh working out of the corner of an established church, uh, out of a traditional church, he was going to head up the black parish, but they didn't even have a building yet. Chris, it was, it was a work just to get enough funds to open up what they call a storefront church, which was essentially just utilizing what it sounds like a storefront as a temporary church setting. And he was faced with a humongous task of fundraising. And mm. because of this, he often took to, uh, the the speaking he was he he was very anti publicity so to speak he didn't want to be in the headlines he didn't want to be involved with the media but in the 1889 and when he made it up to Chicago he realized okay I need to figure out a way to secure some funds because we got to raise enough money to build a church here and it's interesting if you look at some of father Gus in his own words there's quite a few different speeches and quite a few different correspondences that he kind of recapped this, and there's not a lot that's talked about as Father Gus is a civil rights activist. A lot of times it's more about, yeah, he's the first black priest in America, and that's kind of where the line's drawn. Right. You know, to, to make a certain word count in a, lo- you know, like a local newspaper article. But in 1889, Tolton had a speech at the Congress of Colored Catholics in Washington, D.C. And the title of this was The Catholic Church Deplores a Double Slavery. And this is directly from Tolton's speech. The Catholic Church deplores a double slavery, that of the mind and that of the body. She endeavors to free us of both. I was a poor slave boy, but the priests of the church did not disdain me. It was through the influence of one of them that I became what I am tonight. I must now give praise to that son of the Emerald Isle, Father Peter McGurr, pastor of St. Peter's Church in Quincy, who promised me that I would be educated and who kept his word. It was the priests of the church who taught me to pray and to forgive my persecutors. It was through the direction of a sister of Notre Dame, Sister Herlinde, that I learned to interpret the Ten Commandments, and that I also beheld the first time the glimmering light of truth and majesty of the church. In this church, we do not have to fight for our rights because we are black. She had colored saints. Augustus, Benedict the Moor, Monica, this church is broad and liberal. She is the church for our people. So he was brought in in a lot of speaking engagements And this was kind of the mantra of his discussion where the Catholic church doesn't have a place for a color line because he looked back at his education in Rome where there wasn't that same racial tension where people of all colors and all you think of all the cardinals and all the priests from Africa who came to to Rome to study. It just wasn't a factor. And Tolton must have been just rare example of someone who experienced a society it was so radically different from what he had grown up as, and he had kind of seen the promised land, so to speak, in what a society could be, and his mission. A lot of times, there was a a mentality. I think he he had this mentality, and a lot of slaves maybe had this mentality that once they they worked so hard to get their freedom, in some cases they prayed so hard for their freedom. Uh, Tolton dedicated his life to is is kind of an exchange for that freedom was to, to really kind of pony up so to speak on his religious beliefs because he he achieved freedom and dedicated his life to God in this way. Um, when he did leave Quincy he he wrote a letter to Quincy in just as you know I'll just read it here it says my gratitude to those people of the Gem city is threefold some of the white friends and benefactors of St. Joseph's Church did not forget their colored priest Father Tolton They did not let him go away empty-handed from the Gem City, but as a token of respect, they had made suitable donations, asking him to remember them in his prayers, and promised to do three times more if he would only remain with them. Catholics will love and respect a priest regardless of nationality. At least that is the spirit of those people in the Gem City who knew me for 29 years or more. Never will they forget the happy hour spent in Little St. Joseph's Church. I wish them all the blessings that can be bestowed upon— for the charitable spirit that they have always shown towards me and the other colored children, so wow. his his kind of, I think a lot of times this his activity in promoting a, a black presence in church and for teaching kids and offering the same opportunities. I think that kind of gets lost in the headlines of being the first black, uh, you know, the first black Catholic priest in America, and I think it's a big part of his identity, Chris.
1: I I don't know if it's a, in my head, I'm thinking this and I don't know if it's even the right thing to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it is that, you know, when you think of civil rights, you think of people like Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and how, how, how important he is. But Father Tolton in his own right kind of had some of that, some of that in him as well back in, but we're talking 60 years before Martin Luther King. This is
0: mid to late 1890s, Chris. Yeah, this is so, so I mean, far just, ahead amazing. of the, that civil yeah. rights movement that you speak of in what the what thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, yeah, sixties. Yeah, yeah, really ahead of his time. And you know, I don't know if it's just—I think that was a sentiment that was throughout the country as far as racial tensions go. It was so fresh. I mean, gosh, the Civil War ended in what was it, eighteen? Was it sixty-five? Sixty-six, 66? sixty-five, yeah. 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 Um, you know, another another thing I want to quote from him was in 1892, and this is the third Congress of Colored Catholics that took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The main topic, this was basically, a, the, the whole purpose of this was a discussion of the color line in schools. This is 1892. Wow. Uh, a protest against discrimination. And there was an effort to obtain industrial education for, for the race, even the black race, Uh, and compulsory admission to the various trade organizations. So Tolton celebrated this mass. And in the evening he gave a lecture being the Roman Catholic church as liberator of the color race. Um, And he said, it is right that the church which sets high upon its domes of the glittering cross, the church that tends to propagate the seed of divine salvation should follow in the footsteps of him whose emblem the the cross is at this church At this church has, excuse me, as the church has become the liberator of all other nations in the past, she is also the true liberator of the colored race. All were once in the darkness of paganism until this apostle went forth and shed the light upon the darkness. Ours is the true liberator, for I would say and assert from my own experience that there is no color line in Roman Catholic Church, and this is only true of that church. So he saw the Catholic Church as being the true. liberated, accepting the colored race, so to speak, of the day. And, you know, all all his speeches, he went on to, to, to visit Boston. And in 1892, it was a big, he kind of did a lot of speaking engagements. You see, he was, I think he was the first, uh, he might have been the first black preacher to give mass in New York. He was mm-hmm. probably the first black preacher to give mass in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he was probably the first priest to to give mass in Boston. So this is wild. He, he was able to, through different benefactors in the Chicago community and elsewhere, he, he was successful in raising funds to build what became St. Monica's Church in Chicago. This was an extremely mm-hmm. impoverished area of Chicago. When he was raising funds, one of his stops was Boston, like I said, He said, I'm building an edifice for worship in Chicago and expect it to be an ornament not only for Chicago, but for the United States as a token of advanced progress made by the Negro in the rapid march of civilization. I have had the encouragement of many good Catholics and even of Protestants. I am struggling hard every day in Chicago with the assistance of Mr. Valley, who I'm not familiar with personally, uh, raising funds to complete the work so nearly finished. I've heard that the good people of boston and new england are very much devoted to my race and have so encouraged them in the work of the race elevation that i at once accepted the invitation and basically he's saying he's accepted the invite to come to boston so this is this for him this is not just a church in chicago but more a symbol throughout the entire united states of how far you know, and how fast the you know the black americans are progressing and mm-hmm. I think it's stories like these and speeches like these that don't often get a lot of coverage I've
1: found. And, and I think this, Every and I'm sitting here listening to this again. I, I don't really have a lot of knowledge of who he was and things like what you're talking about. So it's great to hear this firsthand, but you know, one of the things you we've talked about, I think you're going to get ready to get into this stuff has to do with what's happening today in the world. Right. But it's, it's interesting to put a, uh, put, kind of a, a, an idea or, or see what exactly he was doing because in all honesty I had no idea of how much of a, a civil rights type of person he actually was. I was like, oh, you know, when we hear about this we're like, oh, he was the first black priest. Well, well, that's great, you know, but there was so much more than just that, you know. Yeah. And I think we're going to get into why that maybe in today's world that's why uh, he's going to the path he is.
0: You're talking about canonization. And essentially, you know, if if you're not familiar, canonization is the process in the Catholic Church to achieve sainthood. And way back in the the day, in the early Catholic Church, it was a much looser structure of canonization. There are some saints where there's not evidence of them actually existing just because the science A wasn't there and the the stringent qualifications weren't there. Today, it's a much different process there are really five steps. And I, what I want to do is kind of recap those steps and talk about where Tolton is in that process. Okay. So the first. Because he is in the process. Exactly. It's it's ongoing. Um, as far as this process goes, it could take years. He is going hmm. at an incredible pace, apparently, from what I understand. So I believe that the timeline was it started in 2010, just the whole cause for canonization. So the step one which he achieved which is pretty easy to achieve is you have to die. you cannot be a saint <laughs> unless you are dead. So he achieved that. Uh, step two is become a servant of is to be a servant of God. As soon as the person is accepted for consideration, she's called a servant, or he or she is called a servant of God. So once once the application has been accepted, so to speak, into the Catholic Church, the highest of highs, that they're going to go down that road, uh, he achieves achieve the status of servant of God. Father, you know, Father Augustus told him, servant of God. Step three, which he's achieved, is to become what's called venerable. After the Vatican Congregation for the Causes of Saints determines that the servant of God lived a life of heroic virtue, he or she is granted the title of venerable. So heroic virtue doesn't mean a person was perfect or sinless, but that they worked aggressively to improve themselves spiritually and never gave up up trying to be better and grow in holiness. So he achieved that, so he was considered And the way you would say that is the venerable father, or I think it might even take the place of father, the venerable, or Mm. maybe, frankly, it's a little gray in my own mind, but possibly the venerable Augustus Tolton or the venerable father Augustus Tolton. So step four is where he's at right now. And this is to determine whether he was blessed, to be installed the title of blessed instead of vulnerable, I guess. Mm. And what this means is, the church needs to establish that one miracle where the venerable person's cause is presented to the Pope to see whether or not the Pope determines of worth of being called blessed. This step is called the beatification, which I think a lot of people have heard of before, beatification, and is the next to last step. So this is an interesting step. It's currently where he's at. When when we say miracle, I think a lot of people think Jesus yeah. Christ turning water into yeah. wine, something like that. Right, right. That's not exactly the case here. This is more when when uh, like a prayer has been answered specifically when pr- they prayed to Tolton, or is a prayer to Tolton has been the the root cause of a miracle. Oh,
1: and okay. I
0: think right now there have been up to fifty submissions of miracles where. Uh, father Tolton was evoked in that prayer and this wow. is interesting let me get to this part of my notes real fast uh we, we we've often talked about the history of gogo podcast with, with yeah. uh, Rob and one of the times Chuck our one of our our favorite guests Chuck Schultz was was on there this is from tales of the gem City number seven they talked about Tolton a little bit and Chuck had kind of an inside lane on on some of the miracles that were being proposed, and I, I encourage you to go check out that episode seven of Gems, uh, *Tales from the Gem City* as they expand upon it a little bit. But here's a really crazy. There's two examples that Chuck gave. The first one is there's uh, two students from a Mundelein Seminary. Um, one, they were both together. One was lifting weights and they, he collapsed. He was non-responsive. He was in a coma for 40 days. Bef- the family was considering pulling the plug. A fellow cool. se- seminarian requested that the cardinal, along with the priest, which spring uh, this priest, excuse me, the priest of Springfield, that they they uh, essentially what they did is they came to Quincy and they prayed to a to Father Tolton at St. Peter's here in Quincy. Cool. The, there's a statue of Father Tolton here at St. Peter's. They prayed for intervention on behalf of Father Tolton. While the prayers were going on, someone someone in their group happened to take a picture. Um, and if you'll remember, those early, those cameras often had timestamps by default mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just so happened that the timestamp of when that picture was taking of them praying to Father Tolton coincided exactly to when this man came out of his coma. Wow. So this huh. this I mean this is one of the strong cases that have been submitted as you know a example of a miracle. Wow. There was another story from Florida that they hit upon briefly uh, who had a really severe case of gangrene happening in, in their leg. And after evoking the name of Tolton in prayer, apparently mm-hmm. this gangrene mysteriously went away without any medical explanation. Mm-hmm. So apparently there, there are 10 documented miracles, possibly more than 50 who have been submitted to like a call for Miracles, basically, which the Catholic Church investigates heavily. It's not wow. just a take your word for it. So right now we're determining if he has one miracle. Because if he has the one miracle, step four is he becomes blessed. And if another one of those miracles works out, that's sainthood. You need one extra miracle to be wow. validated. And he, huh. he will be a saint. And it seems like, you know, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but it seems like he's pretty much greenlit here. That's amazing. So what this means is I think there's already plans for the St. Boniface uh, church to become almost a uh, a visitor center or kind of a shrine to Tolton. This will probably mean that his remains will be reinterred within the shrine. And this could be a huge tourism thing for Quincy. Um, yeah. not just from the Catholic perspective It's a huge
1: thing in general to have a saint Absolutely. buried in Quincy downtown Holy Quincy,
0: St. Boniface the first church he attended with his family um, wow. you know we, we glossed a little bit over over his death and I, I talked about how hard he had to work in Chicago you know he, he was endlessly raising money, visiting parishioners, I mean we're talking horrible living conditions of his parishioners but in, in 1897 Tolton was on a church retreat 100 miles south of Chicago in Bourbon, Bourbonese, Illinois. I'm not sure on the pronunciation of that Bourbon, Bourbonis, Illinois. And it was extremely hot. He was already pretty weak and he suddenly collapsed on the edge of the sidewalk. Several pedestrians rushed him to a cool spot, hoping to revive him. Didn't work. He was rushed to a place called Mercy Hospital there where he later died. Tolton often expressed his wanting to be buried here in Quincy in the cemetery of St. Peter's where a lot of the, the priest in the priest plot where he first kind of found a welcoming home. Because after the, the scuffle at St. Boniface and after the kind of bad turnout at the, the black school, he went to school where Father McGurr, the fiery Irishman priest, saw to it that nobody was going to mess with Gus and nobody did when he was in that school uh, there was people that, that talked a lot of, talked a lot of crap to, to Father McGurr, but what he did is he made sure that all his sermons went right to the issue of talking about not how the, the church doesn't exclude people and really kind yeah. of socked it to the parishioners who were a little more vocal about hmm. things. Eventually, though that kind of uh, dispute died down, and whenever Gus was in that church and was in that school at St Peter's, he was safe and that lingered in his life to where he they first had a, pr- a prayer service in St. Monica, a funeral. His body was brought down to Quincy where uh, where they had another service in St. Peter's, and he was interned at St. Peter's Cemetery right there off Broadway. Mm. So anytime you're going down Broadway, uh, you know you can look to the side there in the cemetery, you see the big cross, and know that that's, that's Father Gus right there. That's possibly our wow. future saint from Quincy right there.
1: Jeez, that's amazing uh, so I mean you have said it could take a very very long time but it sounds like we're pretty far in the steps already so I mean could it could it happen soon or are we still thinking 10 20 30 40 years down the road? there's
0: no I, I tried to get that information and it, it's it's not completely clear on what to expect on a timeline standpoint mm-hmm. but if you look at the timeline um, it started in 2010.
1: He's already got to stage yeah, four. So the he's, fourth stage. he's he's wow. being
0: evaluated in step four. It sounds like there's no shortage of, of possible miracles that would, you know, one's what he needs to be blessed. Two is only is you know saying that's all you need. I mean, a miracles a big deal, obviously. Yeah. And its scrutinous. I mean, when I say that they go to the church, uh, what's really interesting is just step one. Um, was di- step one is to die. Well, that involves, if you remember, I believe it was in 2016, um, they actually had to come and uh, do forensic work on the grave to examine his remains to verify that, A, there's a person <laughs> buried in his tomb, in his, in his place, and B, document everything about the remains to... Hmm. Could have actual data that validates that this was um you know the skeletal structural structure matches the height reported other characteristics of the skeleton. This is like CSI stuff. They had trained people in six uh, in 2016 come to Quincy and do the internment of his remains, and they validated everything. They reconstructed all the bones, redressed them in in the various garments, and they did a minute by minute recap of this process which is available and you can like, t- like for example it's like 10 12 we place the right tibula you know on the you know just down to wow. the bone um it's everything is completely documented and it's just wow. wild to see how how serious this is taken so yeah they 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 checked that box and it was quite a process that's super interesting to me um yeah so well on his way, 10, 11, 12, what is it? 20, 23? 20, I don't know what day it is. It's, 23, yeah. yeah so you're looking at, so know, 13 years 13 in. 13 years. That's that's nothing on some of these sainthood.
1: It yeah. sounds weird. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I mean, there was a spot where I got like got goosebumps just hearing this story. I mean, it's just amazing uh, of, of the potential not only for who he was in, in that, but also just the potential for having that as an actual saint in the city of Quincy, uh, you know, our favorite city that we, we always talk about because we obviously do a podcast about it, but um you know it's it's going to be one of those things where it's just amazing that this is a potential for for us to have. But uh, traps before we get things wrapped up, is I mean, is there anything that else that we got to hit up? It seems like this guy. Uh, hopefully, will be talking about Saint Tolton pretty soon in the near future, right? It
0: seems all but a foregone conclusion. I think for me, it's it, if you were to just read this, this sounds like a civil rights movement that took place in the the forties and fifties and sixties and then you look at 1890s and the idea that that Quincy you know Quincy was not perfect no no town was there was racial tension but there was enough people that found it comforting to be in the the church of a black priest that not only was, you know was that seen as a threat by you know racist white people that were in the church um but god you envision just a town where this this Black and white parishioners are there. and you know there was fun little tidbits that I found in doing deep dives on this. I said music was a big part of of Father Tolton's life. He was said to have a great voice and a few accounts say that that uh, he didn't have a lot of spare time, but in the spare time he did, he often actually he played the accordion, Chris, and huh. he would often play hymns on his accordion in whatever little time he had. And it's it's interesting that through all through all this, he had a, his love for music and and love for the religion and the Catholic Church. It never subsided, and I believe multiple times, including his funeral and his first mass, the same hymn was was played, and that was "Holy God, We Pray The Name." So I just kind of envision Father Gus, maybe you know, in the living room of his his uh, you know church house. You know, playing the accordion, maybe holy God, we pray the name you know, coming in the middle, you know, late at night when he has a little downtime, and that's just kind of such a haunting haunting picture of a man who was able to overcome these tensions and and in some cases doing it with a a, a great sense of humor and just letting that evil and rancor of racial you know just bias roll over him on a higher purpose. and I think you know, that's, that's a model we can all try to strive to in some capacity, Chris.
1: Definitely. So, well, uh, it's been an amazing look at, uh, a, a father in the city of Quincy that hopefully one day we will be calling St. Tolton. So that is a look at father Augustus Tolton. We'll be back with more after this on wild Quincy.
0: Berber Kings have done it again. Save More Carpet, your floor-covering superstore just made a special purchase of Berber Kangabank Carpet, available in many great styles and colors. Compare $12.99, now just $6.99. Heavy outdoor Berber Carpet that's great for damp basements and patios compare to $12.99, but Save More Carpet's price is just $5.99. Still, the store that saves you more. Open seven days a week at 926 Vermont Quincy.
1: Travis, uh, digging into the vault of ads, and we go to a 1995 TV ad uh, with a, a radio voice that was on KHQA of Save More Carpets. Remember Save More? Yeah. They're still, still around, going by the strong, way. strong, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, that voice, by the way, is none other than a guy I used to work with. Uh, that's an inside joke. Uh, listen to uh, Patreon to find out more about that. Uh, but, uh, but Bob Joy was the voice of that. Uh, cool little side story about Bob Joy. He worked at uh, WGEM. I was able to work with him for a few years when I was there. He, uh, get this, he uh, had a perfect work record, never missed a day of work, and get this, 48 and a half years. Wow,
0: that is something.
1: Yeah, he never missed a day of work, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away in uh, 2006. Uh, but uh, he had some golden pipes. You talk about golden pipes. Yeah. Uh, he definitely had one of them, and uh, uh, he spent many years at uh, WGM and was a uh, was a big uh, big radio guy back there uh, during the day. So uh, good good episode, good audio. That's the reason I wanted to bring it up. Uh, like I said, Bob was a really nice guy, and. Um, It's unfortunate to hear him pass, but uh, but, uh, yeah, good to hear his voice there again. So Save More Carpets ad from 1995. Classic. Classic, Chris. Classic. Uh, Speaking of another golden voice, let's bring him up.
0: And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County.
1: All right, are you ready for the wits and wisdom of our forefathers and foremothers of Adams County?
0: I'm like a pit bull with a pork chop ready to go on this man what do you got (laughs) so this week i decided
1: since we were talking about churches and uh father's holton and all that stuff i would do some church searching in this book okay so i got a couple to choose from here i'm not going to put them in a certain order Uh, i'm just going to throw them out i'm going to start at the bottom and go up so eight thousand two hundred it is a sign of bad luck to make your exit from a church through a different door from when the one that you entered hmm So don't make sure you exit the same door that you entered in if you go to church, okay? Uh, 8,227, if you live close to a church and cook chicken every Sunday, it will bring you bad luck, and you will soon draw a preacher around to your door.
0: Ooh, that has implications, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. Too much chicken's a bad thing, apparently.
1: All right, and so here's the last one for you, 7,329. A bridal couple should not enter the church within 24 hours after a funeral. If they do, they will never see old age together. And then there's a little story. My cousin was buried one morning from a church and I was to be married the next morning in the same church. My father wanted to put my wedding off, said I would not live long enough with my husband. I only laughed and got married and we did not live together long because he got sick and died.
0: Words of wisdom from Adams County. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so yeah
1: a little uh a little rough there but um so there's some church stories for you there you go so, there uh, you but go. yeah there's a look at the wisdom and wits from our forefathers and foremothers before we wrap things up traps we got one little piece that we have to take care of and that is the question that you've been pondering this you've been thinking you think you got the answer right
0: i don't have a clue <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> but I'll, i'm willing to take a, a blind shot yeah
1: all right, well, let me throw out that question again. The question is this. What city was the closest to Quincy to be the epicenter of an earthquake? Was it Charleston, Missouri, Eureka, Missouri, Paris, Missouri, or O'Fallon, Illinois? Again, you said you're taking a shot in the dark here, Travis. What's your thoughts?
0: Uh, I want to say Eureka just because I like the name. <laughs> I don't think it's right, but what do we got?
1: All right, you're going with Eureka. I don't see why not. Uh, that would be the wrong answer. Yep. So yeah, unfortunately, that's not it. Uh, the correct answer is kind of crazy. Paris, Missouri. Okay. Do you know where Paris, Missouri is at? Uh, Mark Twain Lake area. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I'm I'm very familiar yeah. with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they actually had in 2004 two earthquakes. One was a 2.9 and one was a 2.3. Really. Yes. Uh, all those other places I mentioned also had earthquakes. Eureka had one in 2021. That was a 2.5. O'Fallon, Illinois had a huge 4.0 in 1974. And then the big one is the Charleston, Missouri earthquake, a 6.7 in 1895.
0: Okay. that's Next
1: episode? I was going to say, what, what we're talking what's about?
0: shaking with all this earthquake talk, Chris? <laughs>
1: We are getting to uh, you know me I'm I'm a huge fan into the natural hazards uh, catastrophes situation. We're gonna look into that last one I just mentioned the 1895 earthquake from Charleston, Missouri because it had had implications in our own gym city okay
0: this is the new one I so, don't know anything about this honestly.
1: Yeah, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the New Madrid the fault line. We'll talk about you know maybe the future and what earthquakes look oh, like, boy. and is there another possibility for Quincy to see an earthquake? We'll be covering all that's coming up in the next episode of Wild Quincy. Looking forward to that one, aren't you, Travis?
0: You know what? Get your anxiety medicine ready, guys. Chris Chris <laughs> has a tendency to take us down some dark, scary <laughs> paths on these episodes, so we'll see what he has in store. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well at least the world's not ending right yeah, fingers crossed uh, <laughs> there we go well travis before we wrap things up are we missing anything you
0: know um no just thanks everybody for listening if you are enjoying what you're hearing we welcome you to join the wild things over at the patreon side we have a lot of fun there and would love for you to be a part of it
1: well for travis Hoffman, and i'm chris ketters and you've been listening to wild quincy we'll catch you guys next time take care everybody
0: Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing, and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Becraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy.